Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya I bow to the Lord Vasudeva. I bow to him in you. I would like to read from Conversations with Yogananda a very interesting story. Because, you know, the scriptures say it takes five to eight million lives to reach the human level. Well, some of those lives are pretty brief, like a few seconds or a day, but others can be very long. And that's a long time altogether. But after that, it can take not only millions, but even billions of years. Because man finds so many different ways of getting into delusion. He finds this doesn't work, so let me try that, so let me try that. My guru one time had a vision which helped to explain these, this process. And let me read you this, uh, this story from his book, Conversations with Yogananda. The Master often told this story to illustrate how the soul wanders on the long journey of countless incarnations seeking perfect fulfillment. There was a man who loved God and had achieved a little spiritual advancement, but who also had a few worldly desires left to fulfill. At the end of his life, an angel appeared to him and asked, Is there anything you still want? Yes, the man said. All my life I've been weak and thin and unwell. I would like in my next life to have a strong, healthy body. In his next life, he was given a strong, large, and healthy body. He was poor, however and found it difficult to keep that robust body properly fed. At last, still hungry, he lay dying. The angel appeared to him again and asked, Is there anything more you desire? Yes, he replied, For my next life, I would like a strong, healthy body and also a healthy bank account. Well, the next time he had a strong, healthy body and was also wealthy. In time, however, he began to grieve that he had no one with whom to share his good fortune. When death came, the angel asked, Is there anything else? Yes, please. Next time I would like to be strong, healthy, and wealthy, and also to have a good woman for a wife. Well, in his next life he was given all those blessings. His wife, too, was a good woman. Unfortunately, she died in her youth. For the rest of his, his days he grieved at that loss. He worshipped her gloves, her shoes, and other memor memorabilia that were precious to him. As he lay, dying of grief, the angel appeared to him again and said, What now? Next time, the man said, I would like to be strong, healthy, wealthy, and also to have a good wife who lives a long time. Are you sure you've covered everything? demanded the angel. Oh, yes, I'm certain that's everything this time. Well, in his next life, he had all those things, including a good wife who lived a long time. The trouble was, he lived too long. As he grew older, he became infatuated with his beautiful young secretary, to the point where finally he left his good wife for that girl. As for the girl, she all she wanted was his money. When she'd got, what her, got her hands on it, she ran away with a much younger man, at last, as the man lay dying, the angel again appeared to him and demanded, Well, what is it this time? 
Nothing, the man cried, nothing ever again. I've learned my lesson. I see that in every fulfillment there is a catch. From now on, whether I'm rich or poor, healthy or unhealthy, married or single, whether here on this earth or in the astral plane, I want only my divine beloved. Wherever God is, there alone lies perfection. Well, of course, this is a very abbreviated account of the path that people go through. We find that desires for things can, there's no end to them. You get it and you don't quite get it right, so you think, well, maybe a little bit better to give you a lousy example, but to, it gives you an idea anyway. Somebody wants chocolate ice cream. Well, there's something not quite right with the chocolate ice cream, so you want strawberry. Or, no, no, maybe vanilla, maybe mango, maybe this, maybe that. Try a little experiment. Take a pillow, put it behind you in a chair, and try to arrange it in such a way that you will be absolutely comfortable. You won't be able to do it. You'll find that always after a while you sort of get uncomfortable and you think, well, maybe uh, some other position would be better. Maybe I will be more, uh, if I move it a little bit more to the left or a little bit more to the right. You'll never find perfect comfort. This is one of the mistakes that people make thinking they'll ever get this world perfect. It's one of the great mistakes people have made in thinking to create a perfect community. I've fortunately never had that delusion. I never expected communities to be perfect. If I had, I'd have been very disillusioned. And yet, Ananda is a beautiful community. There are wonderful people there. But perfect? No, you can't have perfection ever. Perfection comes only when you can leave your ego. I've often thought that even living in the most sattvic universe, living on a planet where there's, everything is beautiful, where you can commune with the angels and communicate with them, where everything is idyllic in weather and everything, it still would be hell from the ultimate standpoint that you'd be stuck in this little ego. There's no freedom as long as you're bound by the ego. As long as you have to feed it and clothe it, as long as the ego can be limited to being in this one place instead of all places, that's not freedom, that's not what you're looking for. What you're really looking for is divine love. What you're really looking for is absolute joy. This can only be found on an infinite level. You can find it when you understand that you are not the ego, but the infinite soul. And so, it's a human delusion, and it's one that everybody goes through, or they wouldn't be here. But just the simple thought, well, if I can just do it that way, just a little bit more this way. It, it, there was a story of a, a man one time, who was, he was a pastor of a church in the South in America. And he was constructing a boat for himself. And his parishioners would come up and say, Well, Parson, I, I think that that boat would be, if the mast should be a little higher. So he thought, Well, all right, I'll make the mast higher. He said, Well, I think the boat should be a little broader. So he made it, oh, okay, he made it a little broader. I think the prow should be a little bit longer. And so he kept taking this advice. And finally, the boat, he launched it. And it went, he went out into the water, and then blub, blub, blub. All that was left that you could see was a mast sticking out of the water. So he thought, all right, I'll start again. 
And then people began coming up to her again and said, Parson, I think that mass should be a little bit higher. I think that prow should be a little longer. I think it should be a little wider, and so on. He said, listen, see that mast up there, out there in the water? He said, that's the committee boat. This is my boat. Well, we've got to understand that if we want to find perfection, it won't come by committee. Don't think that other people, everybody is eager to give you all the advice they can. But finally, you should make up your own mind. Don't let them always be telling you what you ought to do. There are a thousand ways of doing things, and all of them could be good. But finally, you have to make up your own mind. Are you finding, are you looking for something real? Ultimately, you have to realize that everything that your relatives and friends and everybody will tell you, it's not going to give you what you want. I remember how my mother would try to get me into this kind of thing and that kind of thing, hoping for my happiness, of course. But I just somehow couldn't help think that's not for me. And I told her one time, I'm not going to go to church with you anymore. And she wept because she thought, oh, that means I'm going to go to hell. Then I remember her coming to me one day, and uh, just a few days later, she was so relieved. She said that she'd just read where someone had written that the rejection of God is often the first step toward, toward seeking God. And I knew that that was the truth. I knew that I was really seeking God, but I didn't want it in her way. One time, an uh, aunt of hers came to visit us, and she said, I bet that he becomes a, a, a priest someday. This is because they believed in that way. And my mother said, oh, not he. But in fact, I knew it was so. I knew it. My mother, when she was carrying me, even then, she said, this first child I gave, give to God. I wanted God, but I didn't want it the way the committee wanted it. It had to come from my own sincerity. So remember that in the end, you have so much wandering to do, but it will never give you what you're looking for. You think that you will get it through riches, through, through human love, through um, victory on the battlefield, through victory on the football field, through all sorts of things. <coughs> it's always a temporary thing. Finally, after the shouting is over and you all, everybody goes home, all congratulating themselves that we're one and we're number one, and finally you think, what is it all for? I remember I used to love skiing. And one time I was up there on the slopes, and I just suddenly, the thought came to me, what am I doing on these silly boards? Finally, joy is nothing except your own inner self. When you meditate deeply, that joy begins to well up from within you. You know there's nothing else worthwhile. But when you have it, and if ever that comes to you, then hang on to it. Don't think, well, it's yours now. You see, the thing is that it's so much a part of what you really are that when you first feel love, or feel joy, or feel peace, your first thought is, well, now I've got it, I can never lose it. You know, Patanjali listed as the essence of enlightenment, he called it smriti, memory. You remember that that's who you are. Well, when you have these experiences, you remember that that's you.
but still it is not what you're finally going to get. I remember one time back years ago, I used to put my lunch aside, then go meditate for a half hour, and then come to get my lunch, which was, of course, always cold by that time, but it was, it was a worthwhile sacrifice for me. And I remember toward the end of this half-hour meditation, suddenly I began to feel so much joy. And uh, then 12.30 came, and it was time to go for lunch, and I thought, well, I've, I couldn't possibly lose this joy again. It's mine forever, because I recognize that it's my own nature. But you know, by the time lunch was over, I'd lost it already. When you get a little touch of that love, when you get a little touch of that joy, then hang on to it for dear life. Make that your real meal for the day. Where does love come from? Where does joy come from? Years ago, I was, there were, I was with a group of young people. And this young fellow, about 18 years old, he was telling me that he didn't believe in God. And I tried to give him reasons for believing in God. He couldn't accept them at all because the word was what really bothered him. And so anyway, we were going home and we had several people in the car. There was this young girl, 16 years old, whom I was taking to her house. And before we got there, she said she didn't believe in love. Well, you know, probably she'd suffered some usual little heartbreak and something that everybody goes through. But what was interesting to me was that afterwards, after we'd let her out, this boy who was the self-styled atheist turned to me in amazement. He said, can you imagine that, not believing in love? And I said, and you call yourself an atheist? You see, we, we get too caught up in words. Other people's definitions, the committee God, like the committee boat. God is, well, I told you this just recently. Some man in Australia said that I'm an atheist. How can you define God in a way that I can accept it? And I said to him, why not imagine God as the highest thing that you can aspire to in your own self? And he said, well, I can live with that. You can't imagine more than that. He's beyond all imagination of expectancy. But you should reach out toward the highest you can imagine, the most perfect bliss, the most perfect love, the most perfect peace. And so one time many years ago, in fact, it was like this. That I had uh, only been playing the guitar for a month when somebody asked me if I wanted to give a concert, and I was stupid enough to say yes. Well, it was sort of fun. And there were 200 people there. And the worst of it was that they put the light, the only light in the room, they wanted to create atmosphere, so they turned everything off, put a candle behind me. Well, if there was one thing I desperately needed to do, it was to see the strings of that guitar. But it was for a church group. And believe it or not, these were Unitarians, many of whom were actually atheists. Their, their religion was more sort of social service and doing things like that. And... Uh, so as I was thinking, I, I was thinking I'd like to write a song for these people that would be help them. And then this song came to my mind that same day that I gave the concert. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was walking in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, and this song came to me, What is love? How can we love if love isn't already a fact of the universe? We don't create love. We can love because love is already there. We can give it manifestation. What is joy?
because joy is already there to be experienced. You couldn't experience it if it weren't something already real. And so we have to understand that truth itself and God himself, all of this is a part of an already existing reality, love, joy, peace. These are who you really are. And if you can live for that greater reality of which you are a little expression, then you discover that there is freedom and joy in everything. What is love? Is it only ours? Or does love whisper in the flowers? Surely we, children of this world, could not love by our own powers. What is joy? Is it just a dream? Or does joy laugh in every stream? Are the clouds mindless after all, or is joy all nature's theme? God is dead, so men say. Can't they see all life's his play? Not a church can make him his own, not a creed claims him as its own. Foolish we, if we limit him. Every atom is his throne. Let us sing you this song, Joy to You. What is love? Is it only ours? Or does love whisper in the flowers? flowers. Surely we, children of this world, could not love by our own. What is joy? Is it just a dream? Or does joy laugh in every stream? Are the clouds mindless after all? Or is joy nature's theme? dead, so men say, can't they see all life's his play? Not a church binds him as its own, not a creed makes him fully known. Foolish we Love, is it love we touch? 
in the flower.